And now it is time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. So glad you're with us today. We appreciate it. Thankful that we can be here. Gary Jones is with me today, and we're back uh, to our usual lineup. We just had a bad storm pass through the area, so I'm really glad that we're on the air and power's up and we're not completely dead in the water. I think we were under a tornado warning there for a little while, but uh, thankfully we're not bothered by that. Hope that you're doing okay where you are. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show about spiritual matters of any kind. You don't have, have to be a Christian or anything to call in, although this is this the presuppositions we have on this show are uh, based in Christ and his teachings. But we certainly would welcome a call from those who disagree or don't share our beliefs about different matters. But it's a spiritual show. I'm going to give you the numbers in just a moment so you can reach us here on We Are Just Christians. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to join in the conversation today. Always makes the show better when uh, the audience joins in and, and directs the thoughts. We, we come prepared to talk about various things, but uh, we're certainly more great, more than grateful to have your participation. So if you want to call, you can reach us at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. Uh, we'll we'll uh, take your call and we'll try to have a conversation. If you want to ha- stay on the line, we can talk. If not, that's okay. But the idea is we're going to talk back and forth, agree or disagree, and be respectful to one another if we agree or disagree. And we're going to give you the last words. If Since you called in, you can have the last word in any kind of conversation. And so 772 is the number here to reach us. You can also reach us by text message. And since Gary Jones is back today, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing a lot better today, Mike. Yes, I, he, he and his wife uh, recovering from uh, COVID, but uh, they're doing better. So, And in the event, Stuart Mincer was here the last couple of weeks. Really appreciate him uh, uh, helping us out and, and participating in the show. But anyway, my text number, if you want to reach by text message, that's for today or any time this week. 772-260-6120. That's Mike's text number, 772-260-6120. And then Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220 is his number, 772-260-6220. So some people call, some people text, and we're glad to hear from you either way. We also have an email address. Uh, usually forget to give this out at the end of the show, but if you'd like to reach us by email anytime, it's very simple, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. Gary and I both are kind of suffering from um, voice problems today, I think, (laughs) possibly anyway. We'll have to see how that goes, but it should be interesting in that regard. In, in any event, I think a lot of people around here are suffering from congestion and different kinds of things going going on to varying degrees. But uh, we hope that you're well. Now, the show, as I mentioned, is about spiritual things. And the premise of we are just Christians is being just a Christian, not part of some 
man-made denomination. We want people to leave their man-made denominations and tradition traditions and just simply agree to follow the New Testament in a simple and plain way. I know that sounds idealistic. Well, I guess it is idealistic, but, but that's all right. It's, a, it's about trying to go back to the New Testament. Uh, we can argue and disagree about creeds and traditions and synods and councils and all of that kind of stuff, the latest fads in religion or spirituality. You and I can disagree about that. But hopefully we should be able, if there's any basis at all for us to have unity, it would be in the words of the scriptures in the New Testament, because that's what it was intended to do. Jesus says that he wanted all of his disciples in John 17, just before he was crucified, to be one. And he said he told the disciples to sanctify them or set my disciples apart, to sanctify us, to set apart for my use. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so there we, therefore, we believe we can be set apart to be just Christians by the word and not by human creeds and interpretation. So we're going to go back to the scriptures. Each time you ask a question or make a comment here, we're going to do our best to give some kind of a scriptural answer that you can look up. And, and then you, you're going to have to evaluate whether what we say matches up with what you can read and whether, it, whether that's what it really is saying. We believe those words can be understood. They were meant to be understood. The apostles meant for this teaching to be used down through time. In fact, the apostle Paul, as we pointed out before, warned about those who would come in after his departure, his death, and alter what he and the other apostles had said. That they would, he compared them to wolves who would come in among the the flock and and damage or destroy the sheep uh, because they would fall away from the truth. He says in Acts 20 and 7. And in First uh, Timothy chapter uh, four, so you you see that that's the point. That the gospel was written. The apostle said it needs to be kept and preserved and followed by all men in all generations. He said, "You commit what I've told you." He told Timothy, who was a younger man, "You commit what I've told you to faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also." So there's the idea, very clear, that the New Testament teachers weren't hoping that we would somehow develop this embryonic truth and expand our horizons and teach something different and bring enlightenment to a new age by our thoughts. No, what the apostles wanted was for us to tell our generation here in 2023 what they said and preserve it like it ought to be preserved, not create something new. Gary, you want to? Well, he says, basically Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When we stand before God, it's going to be what Jesus has said. And as far as I can tell, he hasn't changed anything since he left this earth. Right, exactly. So if we can get one idea across to you, Gary, and I can on this show, it is to always ask the question of when you hear of any kind of topic being discussed, spiritual or whatever, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? And by the way, when you see that, things happening at the church you're going to now. Well, what? how does that compare to the Bible? What does the Bible say? And keep pursuing that idea. Yes, by Gary? the way, that, that verse you referred to, Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 3, and going through about, uh, about 4, 3 and 4, it says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, 
by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's Paul talking to the Ephesians. Now, he says two things that are important there. He was made known these mysteries by revelation from Jesus Christ, and he says that explicitly in the Galatian letter. And he says, when I wrote to you, I meant for you to read this and understand what Jesus told me. Exactly. It's intended to be understood by ordinary people not by some kind of special scholar. So anyway, that's the premise of the show. Hope that you can think about that and uh, always consider that. Now, the problem is, I say problem, you know, the practical difficulties of the this is that lots and lots of churches claim that they're just trying to be a New Testament church, but and that's all well and good, but when you examine what they really rely on, in the end, you will see very clearly they're relying on a Baptist manual or a Methodist discipline or the traditional teachings of the church, and and they go back there for their authority. There are even churches across the country with a sign out front that says Church of Christ on the sign who do the same thing. They just rely on what a previous generation taught them. They haven't gone back to the scriptures about a lot of things. And they, they, what is happening is they're slowly drifting away from the truth. So you have to look at what the, a church is teaching and not and and uh, to find out what's really going on. Well, uh, we have a caller on the line, so we're going to go to the phone. We promise we take our callers first. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Is Gary with you this morning? He, he is I'm here. here. Yes. I'm here. Oh, good morning, Gary. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt your chain of thought, but I was wondering about when they introduced the word ministry, uh, when we're talking about a man of the cloth, or uh, uh, in other words, are they talking about his flock, his congregation? And uh, and I knew that Christ's ministry, that you thought come, was very short. And I wonder if we could just comment on that term ministry. So I have a flight, and I, I'd like to listen to Arthur Mike, if that's okay. That's great, Jerry. I appreciate you calling in this morning. You know, it's ironic. Uh, Jerry and I don't know each other, but <laughs> I had something pulled out to talk about this morning if no one called or if we had time, and it kind of dovetails with that question a little bit. I was going to talk about what the Bible definition and usage of the idea of pastors and elders and and so forth are, bishops, as well as preachers or ministers, some of those words. What do they, what do they mean in the Bible? Not the way they're used today because they're misused. And we were going to talk about that. So this question kind of dovetails with it. You'll hear this word ministry a lot. Now, uh, very, very generally speaking, the word, the word for ministry or minister is usually just an or it's an ordinary Greek word used commonly. And it means to serve something. It means some kind of a servant, not necessarily a slave but someone who is doing something of service or is a servant, that's a minister. And then when you, the work that you're doing as a servant uh, could be called a ministry. Now in the New Testament, which of course where we want to go back to, this idea of, of a minister or ministry is the idea of simply serving Christ, being a servant of the Lord. Now, Paul was given a special ministry as an apostle. His ministry or service, his particular his particular individual service as an apostle was to go to the Gentiles as opposed to Peter, who seemingly 
was sent more to people who were Jewish uh, in their original faith, who were following the law of Moses. Paul was kind of singled out, he said, to take the gospel to where it had never been and among, to, to the Gentiles. So he would be, Paul, he said, Jesus said to them when on the road to Damascus that you're going to be a light to the Gentiles, you know. And so that's Paul's ministry. Now, he spoke to both Jews and Christians, those who were ethnically Jews, religiously Jews, as well as those who were pagans, as well as those who had already been converted to Christ. Paul spoke to all of them, but he had a particular calling. So his service as an apostle is his ministry, because he's serving Christ as an apostle. Now, not all of us are are called, as it were, or given the, the, that kind of ministry. In fact, I would tell you that there are no apostles today besides the ones from the New Testament times that we use. There are no apostles today, so no one has been called to the ministry of apostle of an apostle. We have what they wrote. We, what they wrote. Yes. Now, now what the what, here's the here's the common. So we use the apostles. We just use what they wrote, not a particular or th- there's a particular. Um, man who calls himself an apostle. If you look through the religious world, you'll see apostles. I get, I've had calls and letters from apostle so-and-so, and I basically disregard them because I know that they can't do, Paul said he was able to do the signs of an apostle. He was able to do the miracles that prove that he really was set on a special mission. An apostle now is different than a minister or a preacher. Apostolos, although it was a word that just meant a Uh, someone who carried a messenger. It was really a more particular kind of a minister or a messenger. It meant someone who was sent with a commission to do a particular thing. So there are apostles in Greek. There are apostles to the churches like Barnabas because the church at Antioch sent Barnabas to carry money and to do other things for that church. The church at Antioch sent a Barnabas to teach in certain cities in Asia Minor, so he became an apostle of that church. But a Barnabas was not an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, there's a difference. Apostle meant a messenger sent with a commission, with a message to repeat or to tell. To teach. To, to teach as a particular specific message. So Paul, though, was an apostle of Jesus Christ, as was Peter and the other uh, the other 11 and so forth. So those are messengers of Jesus Christ. All these words have ordinary type meanings, but then they're, they're, they're made uh, special and significant in the New Testament by the way that they're used. Uh, so this word ministry is one of those words. Now today, the way that you hear this word used so much, this word minister, people come along and since we lived, Gary, uh, I'm going to be, oh boy, Pardon my train of thought, as Jerry called it, or my cynicism just a little bit. I don't mean this to be snarky. It's going to sound snarky. I don't particularly mean it that way. Every We live in the age of me, you know, the me generation. And uh, and now, now, not, now, I guess me and you are in the me generation, baby boomers. So we're in, now we were in the, then the me, me generation, and now we're in the me, me, me generation since that time. And... Uh, things have really changed. And so everybody who becomes a Christian now thinks that they have to have their own special ministry in Christ. And so they think about, well, 
What am I called to do? And so they bang and think about what, well, and what they do then is they think something they'd like to do, something they'd like to focus on. And so their ministry is baking chocolate chip cookies or whatever it may be. And they, they call that their ministry. Rather than simply being a servant of Jesus Christ, minister and servant mean the same thing, and serving the Lord every day where you are, doing things that are right and good, and teaching when you have opportunity, we all have to have our special ministry. So call me. Call me cynical. Well, it, 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 Gary, it's like it, this. It, it, no, it comes about, Mike, because you and I, have, we have studied the Scripture. Because I'm, I'm sure when you came to Christ and when I came to Christ, we were interested in doing what Jesus told us to do. We were interested in making our life like his in that he says you should imitate. The Scripture says we should imitate him. Um, and we have seen and heard so many who portray themselves as teaching what Jesus said, and really they don't. Uh, the things they say are in opposition to many things in the Bible. And, and that, Mike, I guess that has, over the time, that will cause cynicism in anyone. That, that realization, the, the Bible is not studied as a book like you would study a calculus book. And believe me, I've studied both. I know which way you have to go. The Bible is not studied that way. We look to the apostles and what they wrote because of what you said. They demonstrated in their life and in their actions that God was behind them by the miracles they did and by the things that they said. Uh, Jesus said, you know, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Basically, every time I turn around, the emphasis that Jesus said or did was on the word that he spoke and he said, I, I brought to you the words from my father. In other words, I spoke the same thing that my father spoke to me. And he's saying, that's what I brought you. And that's what's right. important. And yet people come along and we, we've, we've been so overcome by our society that now even in, in churches, we have marketing approaches. We want to hit that right. niche market. We want to find that person that's really just wanting to learn this thing. And one of the things I noticed on television this morning, premillennialism, again, being able to tell the future and know what's going on, that's part of that niche marketing technique because they appeal to people who want to know. We all kind of want to know the future, but we've got to realize what it is. I, I'm, I really wish sometimes, Mike, we could spend an entire show on some of the differences in the way the Bible needs to be studied and the way we study other books. I, I don't know how to present it in five minutes but right right uh, but it is different there are things all over the bible uh you say well here there here a little there a little you know by the time you begin to put all those things you begin to have to make the connections you have to think of the bible in terms of connections to other passages just like what we talked about well the only yeah and i agree with you what you're saying but all the danger of that is then the connections yeah. become number sequences of letters and yeah. odd connections that really are not there at all. Uh, you look at something long enough, you stare at that wall there long enough, you'll begin to see a pattern on it, and which really isn't there necessarily. So, yeah, there there are limits to everything like that. But anyway, uh, uh, I, I'd like to just let me. Can we just do one quick example? Okay. John three verse five through eight. Jesus answered and said, he's talking to Nicodemus and said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, that last verse is is interesting. I would like, you know, somebody call in. Tell me what you think that last verse, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's he telling us there? Well, I'll tell you what most of, most of the modern religious world says about that. They say it means that you have to wait till the Holy Spirit knocks you over, all over the head, and then and, and you don't really know what it means. You just, you just kind of get a feeling in your heart, and then you'll know you're saved. Well, I don't get That's that. That's exactly what it means well, to them. I, I don't get that out of it. I no. think he's making a comparison between the wind and the man born of the Spirit. He's comparing the two. They have the same characteristics. What are those characteristics? Well, I, I think he's making the idea – I think he's comparing – the, of what, how you, how you know things, okay? The, the wind, you know, it's there, even though you can't see it by the effects of the wind. Exactly. And you know that the spirit is in a person by the effects of the spirit. Exactly. Not because you can't. Exactly. You, that's you know, what he's doing. He's comparing it. the characteristics of the wind, but so, you so can't So this new see. birth is something that's going to happen. You're not going to be able to physically see it, but it's going to have effects. It's going to have an effect that you can see. Right. You, you see the wind move the leaves and the trees. You hear the wind and the rustle of the leaves and, and around your ears, but you can't see the wind. You can't see that spiritual rebirth, but you can see in that person the effects of it. And that's exactly what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. And th- and that's how you have to study it. That's how you have to look at it. And, and some of that is going to happen over a period of time, and the, and you have to be willing to change what you're thinking. But what people do is they pick out one – well – it's like the first part of that verse, Gary. We're going to get really off the track here, but uh, I'm going to go back to Jerry's question in just a moment. But the first part of that statement that you're born of water and the spirit, they're so intent on removing water baptism from the equation, even though the New Testament is filled with examples and commands about water baptism. baptism. They're so intent on removing water baptism that most of the Baptists today teach that that water there is the amniotic fluid. So you're born of the water the first time, the amniotic fluid, and then you're born of the Spirit the second time, the Holy Spirit, when you're saved by the Holy Spirit. That's what they teach from that verse, Gary, because they're so intent on getting rid of water baptism, which is probably obviously what Jesus is talking about, because he had just been he had been baptized by John, and he was going to have his apostles. He was baptized himself, and he was going to have his apostles teach to be baptized. But they can't have that because it doesn't fit their theology. So they come back to that and say, well, it's amniotic fluid. Smart men say that, Gary. Smart men say that. So it's kind of discouraging. But uh, I guess you can tell I don't think it's true. Well, then then when we say if we've got to get rid of water baptism, now I'm talking about the connections. Let's go to Acts 2.38. Let's go to 1 Peter 3.21. Let's go to Acts... uh, 22 and 19, and and ask if that interpretation fits those passages. Right. Uh, and so th- there, there's where I would have to go. That That's where the connections I'm talking about. How do I, is, if I have two passages, Mike, and I interpret one one way and one another so that they disagree or they are in opposition, 
there are only a couple of choices here. Either I don't understand both of them or I don't understand one or the other of them. Right. Now, that that's traditional logic. That, does, our, does our society work by traditional logic anymore? No. No, they don't. Uh, so they they don't they would have a hard time following that uh, if you if you and I disagree about a subject there's only a couple possibilities either I'm right and you're wrong right. you're right and I'm wrong right, we're or both, we're both wrong. wrong we both can't be right now sometimes you can say well depends now you can redefine what you're talking about and maybe you're talking about the same thing well then that goes back to the first one maybe we're both right. So we, you can both be right about something and, and not say exactly the same thing under some circumstances. But we have but, to have but we have to have an agreement that we're in the we have to know what the words mean and look at it. But see, that's a I keep talking about words and definitions and what that's a that's the old school, the new world we live in under the woke culture. There's no such thing as truth. So definitions of words change every few minutes because there's no real truth that can be ascertained. Words only mean what we say that they mean now. And they, you know, and they can mean something else the next time I use it. Right. And, and whenever you want to. And so then you change the meaning, but that's not that's never that's never going to get you to the truth. And of course they don't care about that because truth is subjective. Truth is my except, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Right. Except but God only has one truth. Right. Well, uh, let's go back to this idea of ministry or service. Paul, um, there, that Paul was exceptional in that he was an apostle with a particular ministry given directly by miraculous revelation, divine revelation to him as to what that purpose was that you referred to a moment ago. And he talked to Timothy about this. He told Timothy, who was another young man, that, that – um, do not neglect the gift that is in you. He said, till I come, in 1 Timothy 4, 12, 13, right around there, he said, till I come, give attention to, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Another place he tells Timothy to fulfill his ministry. And so people take that as an exhortation that they should then decide what they want to do for the Lord, and then that'll be their ministry. Well, he, Timothy was, again, an exceptional person in that Paul says very clearly, in your case, the elders laid their hands on you and imparted to you spiritual gifts. The apostles did very spiritual gifts to you. Do not neglect those gifts that you've been given by prophecy. So Timothy was specially called to be an evangelist. I'm an evangelist too, but I have not been specially called by some miraculous event in my life to teach the gospel. I chose and God chose by giving me a different abilities and my circumstances to place me in this responsibility. Now, once I take upon that myself, that responsibility to teach the gospel as a minister or as a preacher, then I am, I am bound to do that according to the New Testament, according to the way and the manner, the nature of that office in the New Testament. So that's a ministry, a service. But then there's all there's a service of being an elder is being a minister. A preacher is a minister. There's a sense in which the women in this church 
who serve in various capacities doing various jobs around here to help the both help the church both physically and spiritually their ministers are servants of the lord here in this place my wife serves as a minister not only the, to the church and the things that she does she also serves as a minister in our family to carry out god's will within our family and the broad broader family as she does what is required of a Christian woman in service to others. That's the, her ministry. Well, the father has that ministry as he well. He has that too. I have I have a ministry both as a father, as a preacher, and as an elder to serve the Lord according to the capacity that he's given me, according to the gifts that he's given me, the abilities he's given me to serve. And all, all those things have to be brought under the authority of the scriptures, not under my own will, my own desires to do that. So if I'm going to choose a ministry, um, then I need to choose. I need to do something that is uh, actually something the Word would authorize, not something that I choose to do. And it's 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 a very serious thing, Mike. In in uh, in James three and verse one, he says, "My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing." that we will we shall receive a stricter judgment once you decide to take that path for god be careful all right i'm going to go way off on the edge here gary since when is that new mike <laughs> yeah i don't know ran, i ran across this the other day since we're talking about people choosing their own ministry and that's what they think it is rather than following what the will of god is here is the headline in a magazine i'm a proud christian porn star God put me on earth to enjoy sexual pleasure. That's what this OnlyFans. Now, now I wonder Courtney, what kind of judgment. Courtney Tillia, 35 years old. I wonder what kind of judgment that's going to incur. Well, you, 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 I, I can show you the article, but I mean, yes, I, I don't know. But she, she was an uptight Christian, she said, and ashamed of her sexuality until her husband or boyfriend, whatever, Decided, told her she needs to loosen up and get on OnlyFans, which you don't even know what OnlyFans is, and make porn videos for people for money. And now, now she's happier than she's ever been, serving the Lord with the gifts that He gave her. This is what she's saying in this article: she's serving God with the gifts that He gave her, enjoying the pleasures of life because God created the pleasures of life. And not only that, Gary, but she made a million dollars the last year to boot. Can you imagine serving the Lord and having the side benefit? Never even thinking twice about making all that money, but all of a sudden the money just pops in there and just appears, and boy, you're just so happy. So is that true? This woman apparently has a gift, I use it in quotes, a gift for making porn movies that people like. And since she has a gift that she can do use, she says, I'm using this gift that God gave me to do his will and make people happy. I make people happy. That's my gift. I do it through sex, sexuality by making movies. I hear this all the time. People want to make up, they, they want to do what they want to do, and then they say, well, that's my gift of, to Christ. Christ gave me this gift. Um, I wonder. Now, that's an, is that an, probably an extreme example, but now look, you, if you're going to dismantle an idea, dismantle what she's saying. What's wrong with her, what she's saying? Oh, well, she can't do that in service to Christ. That's immoral. All right, now, if you're going to say that you can't just do anything you want to in service to Christ, what's your standard for deciding what to do? Well, it has to be found in his word. 
So if I'm going to claim to be a minister of Jesus Christ, have a, a ministry, I need to be doing something specifically that I can understand and read from his word is what he calls service to him. The Making word, poor movies is not service to Christ. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right. Go back and show me that what you're doing. Now, we may disagree about the quality of my ministry or my service, but I can find the idea of trying to understand the text of the Bible and teaching others what that says. I can find that idea in the scriptures. So I can use, I can work uh, as a minister of Christ in that regard. You can judge the quality of that yourself, but that doesn't mean that the thing itself is not authorized. But I can't find this woman. I wondered how I was going to work that in, that Christian porn star thing. I thought it was an interesting thing. <laughs> there you go, the first thing out of the bat. Jerry helps me out. But now, this idea, he also mentioned, Gary, the idea of a man of the cloth. And uh, I can't remember the exact words he used, but he did say, was this the same as being a man of the cloth? That brings up a whole nother, and I think I think nother, N-O-T-H-E-R is a good southern word, isn't it? A whole <laughs> nother kettle of fish over here as to what is a man of the cloth. And that's part of what I was going to talk about a little bit about these elders, bishops, and pastors. We probably can't get to that, but... Uh, like we probably need to, but is there a difference between an ordinary person who is a Christian and a man of the cloth? I, look, all my life since I've been a young man, since I've been I've been a preacher since I was 21 years old, I think, or something like that. So that's been a pretty long time. And. Uh, People say, well, you're that guy with that hot line to heaven. You got good connections with the big man upstairs, they'll tell me. I cringe. I'm like, please, God, don't hold that against me. I didn't say that. They, you know, I, didn't, I didn't belittle you by calling you the big man upstairs and, and, say, and saying people like me have some kind of hot line to heaven. No, as a minister of the gospel, I do not have a hot line to heaven nor am I got a special connection to the man upstairs any more than you could have, because there's no distinction in the Bible between clergy and laity. Man of the cloth is an expression that arose because in the centuries after the New Testament, the so-called pa uh, pastors became separate from bishops and bishops became separate from elders, where at one time they were all the same. They began to these men began to differentiate themselves like they always do. They have to always segregate and differentiate themselves from the other people who are beneath them, Pride. different than them. Pride. Pride. And they separate out all these offices, and then they separated out the offices from the common people. Rather than being one of the sheep, as Peter puts himself, that there is one, even though he was, uh, he was an elder in 1 Peter chapter 5, a fellow elder, he calls himself, even though he's an apostle. He said there's one arch shepherd. He's a shepherd of a local flock. There is an arch shepherd, and he fits. He's different than us. Peter doesn't separate himself from the flock. He, as as a shepherd in First Peter chapter five, he talks about his duty to the flock, not to lord it over them, to be examples. So he's bringing himself to the flock, not lording it over. But men 
want to separate themselves out. And so they made this distinction between clergy and laity. And now we have then people that were. And so then they began to wear special clothing, vestments. So in their worship services, that's why you got the pointy hats on the pope and other kind of garments and other other denominations have the robes and the. And the uh, I, I don't know of the names of them, the scarf they wear around their neck or the backwards collar, we would call it, and all these kind of things. Those are vestments, and they are special vestments dependent. And, you know, it's like going to a graduation ceremony at the college, Gary. If you don't know what you're doing, you just go there and you see people in funny robes and they have different colors. They have different colored scarves around their neck, you know, ribbons and scarves and cords. Well, to ordinary people, that just looks like it's funny stuff but all those chords and colors mean something to those people all right jerry is back on the line <laughs> i just saw that jerry what's on your mind uh yes thank you for taking my call mike i just want to point out that uh when i said a man of the cloth i meant like say as an example uh roman catholicism uh his daily occurrence was wars every day uh you know he's not doing a mass it's called a cassock and a nun says, who probably know a nun or a cryo is called a habit. Mm-hmm. And, but I have a question I want, I don't know if we'll be able to get it, get to it today. Or right. not, but there's a thing that people hate about Catholics is the fact they weren't allowed to practice birth control. Is that why people don't like Catholics? Because they weren't allowed to practice birth control. Uh, but, uh, a priest daily or cryo is called a cassock and the nuns, it's called a habit who wears every day. And uh, I don't know if you'll be able to get to that, but uh, thank you for taking my call, Mike. Okay, Jerry. Well, let me just clarify something. What I was saying about the man of the cloth, I was not being critical of what you said at all. I wasn't being critical of you at all, Jerry. I'm just pointing out that that, that concept, and you're correct, it is, uh, that's the point I was making, that the idea of a man of the cloth is something that this person wears as a special clothing that separates him from other people and other uh, other religious, even people who are also priests. The different priests wear different kinds of clothing to signify who they are, like in the military. Different ranks of soldiers wear different kind of markings and clothing. This is kind of human nature that we do this for various reasons. Sometimes it's a good reason. Other times it's simply a matter, as Gary mentioned a moment ago, of pride. The question that I always go back to, though, is what's the Bible say about clothing for religious people and ministers and apostles and prophets and teachers? Is there any hint, even a hint, of any kind of special vestments or clothing that these people wore, whether they were serving in the tabernacle or whatever, or whether they were at home? Is there some kind of hint in the Bible about clothing that I'm supposed to wear as a preacher? Now, I know people informally I, – I knew a preacher like me, an older guy, uh, Gary. He, even, even in South Florida, he would mow his grass with a shirt and tie on. And his thinking was – I said, why are you doing that, JT? Good fellow. Why, why, is hot, why are you mowing your grass in a tie? He said, well, I'm a preacher all the time whether I'm mowing my grass or not, so I want, pe- want people to respect me and so forth. Well, that's a, probably an extreme example. But he's he's got the other idea. He's a preacher all the time. So he doesn't wear anything he doesn't wear every day. Even when he's wearing everyday stuff, he wears it to church. Anyway, the point is the Bible says 
nothing about any requirements for that. So for people to make requirements, to make these differences. As a matter of fact, they're cautious about just, respecting people based on their clothes. Right, on the their garments, yeah. yeah the, the Pharisees love, Jesus says, to have special kinds of garments that indicate they were more religious than other people. It's incredible how the Bible specifically talks about a lot of these kind of things. And then people go out. It also says, call no man father on earth, Jesus says. And so what is the first title they give you? Give you in the Catholic Church. Father, yes. Now, uh, we're going to come back. We probably are going to come back to that, Jerry, about the idea of birth control. And the, the quote. Now, this is Jerry's words. The reason people don't like Catholics is because of birth control. I think that's maybe his perception of that, or at least he's wondered if that's the correct perception. Um, boy, that's a that's like lobbing a softball up there, isn't it? No. Old, but no, I, I don't know that that's the only reason, but it sure got a lot to do with modern people not liking Catholicism, uh, that is the Catholic Church is against artificial birth control. And um, well, one of the one of the reasons I think you trace that back to is the Catholic Church views the only the only sanctified reason for sex is reproduction. Right. Right. That's what they taught for centuries. Procreation yeah. is the only reason. But well, sex, look, sex is sex look, is there immoral. are there are a lot of reasons yeah. why people may or yeah. may not like the Catholic Church. I, I don't I think we ought to look and say, so what does the Bible say? And if the Catholic Church is correct in some teaching that it teaches, then that's fine. If the Catholic Church does not teach what the Bible teaches, then it needs to be corrected. It's not a matter of liking or disliking in that sense, but I, I know I know what Jerry was getting at. But it's but if if you want if you oppose anything today that even hints at the idea that there is some kind of restraint on sexual behavior, you are a bad person to the common culture. Yes. So the Catholic Church would be enemy number one on the hit list of modern woke culture because they oppose so many sexual sins that um, now, make, now make it clear that's what they teach. Just like everybody else, not everybody. Talk about the, the official church. positions yeah. of the church. Yes, not, not what everybody people do. In the Catholic people church do does what they're going to do. Yeah. Right, that's right. And we're not talking about Catholics now. I'm talking about the Catholic Church. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Jerry. Gary. But the point is also that that's what makes it so ironic, and one reason that so they're so despised by some people. I'm not advocating this, but it's because even though they oppose all these different kinds of sexual sins that their priests have been guilty of the grossest kind of abuse over the years. And the ranks of the Roman Catholic clergy are filled with homosexuals and people not only with same-sex attraction or homosexuality, but also um, pedophilia. And so they just have an inordinate number, it seems like, of people that have practiced. And then not only that, not only that, then there's been an official kind of protection racket going on, it appears, in many places. That's the general perception. And, and when you and, couple and, that with a rigid, unbel- and, you know, rigid criticism of others for fornication and for birth control and all that other stuff, well, you have a recipe to be hated. There's no doubt recipe, about that. A recipe for hypocrisy that yes. people recognize. But the other, the other thing is, even that celibacy of their priest is based on a, it's not based on a scriptural teaching. Well, now Pope Francis says that's not even been the teaching of the church all these centuries. Oh, really? Isn't that, isn't that kind of gaslighting? He, He's saying the other day that that really has never been the official position of the Catholic Church, celibacy of the priests. It's only been around for 900 years or 1,000 years, 
and taught strongly, and every other pope opposed it. But he says, no, nah, that's just a suggestion. I- I'm paraphrasing. This is this is where you are with some of this stuff. Now, is he the infallible? Oh, a teacher. No, no, he's only infallible if he's speaking from the chair, ex cathedra, which means he can say whatever he wants. And only when he says he's speaking infallibly is he infallible. But you better follow the pope because he's the leader. Gary, Jerry, I can't. I'm Jerry. Gary, I can't even fathom the problem with all of that. Well, we, we and that's the problem of basing your faith in men and human beings like a pope. And him claiming some authority to be the vicar of Christ, that's the problem with that whole position. Well, we talked about it a little earlier. I was approaching the scripture logically in the way that we need to compare scriptures and understand what is taught and that it doesn't contradict from passage to passage. And yet there you are right there. There is a, how how do you say it? Um, Basically a non sequitur of logic right there when you talk about it. Yes, it's, it's and I, I get frustrated by it because I don't I don't have any ill will at all about to Catholics as I, I have a lot of Catholics in my family. It's not that at all. Does that mean I think they're correct about scriptural teaching? Very often not. Well, we have another. Another caller, excuse me, Laura, are you there? Good morning, Gary and Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm OK. I think we're walking in muddy waters here. What do you think? <laughs> I think I think a few things. A, I've learned obedience is way better than sacrifice. Um, two, if when we speak to somebody about the sexual sin they're caught in or any other sin, if we would explain the repentance and how we're cleansed, then maybe they might be a little more receptive than just the, what they like to call Bible something. Because I got blocked off of Facebook for somebody who attacked me and called me a Bible thumper, and I said, well, Jesus Bible thumped Satan, so. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, That's what I was getting at, Laura, when I said the one thing that you can't do today is say anything that implies that people cannot do whatever they want to sexually. Like this Christian porn star is talking about. do whatever they want to, but it's not going to end well. Or that they shouldn't do certain things. And when the Catholic Church has taken this position loudly in the 20th and 21st centuries that artificial birth control is wrong and certain sexual sins are wrong, well, they're going to become public enemy number one real fast. Uh, uh, when I, if I get up here in this pulpit and I do quite often and talk about, you know, sexual sins of various kinds, that is, that's an easy way to make me public enemy number one. And they, they don't listen to anything else that you have to say because they want to do what they want to do. They don't understand that what I'm trying to say is these things are destructive to you and to your happiness and well-being much less they're an affront to the God that created you. That's why you shouldn't do it. It isn't about me being better than them or anything like that. Nope. God's telling me that this is, these things are destructive to you. Now, we've got there's more evidence and more evidence all the time that sex before marriage and living, living together before marriage is detrimental to long-term happiness. 
We now see this. We've been doing it long enough in this country and around the world to see the results. And we've got as scientific as you can in psychological studies, the evidence and from the divorce rates and stuff that premarital sex, especially living together before marriage, is destructive on so many levels. Now, that's not I don't think you should do it, even if it makes you happy. Because it's wrong. So don't judge by well, you're unhappy, so you should stop. No, you should stop committing sexual sin because it's wrong, whether you're happy or not. Uh, anyway, Gary wanted to say something more than we'll come well, back to you. I'm, I'm just going to say we're, we're confused, Mike, if we think the world is going to love us for teaching what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 15 <laughs> in verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I don't we're know. not going to be liked for what we no, teach. I just hope, because this is strange to say, I just wish they would hate me for the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would hate me. What's that? One more thing. Yeah. Bible also says when it comes to sexual sin to fear the one who can cast the body and soul into hell. Okay, but and it is specifically talking about sexual sin and the continuation of it after you've learned it is wrong. The reason that sexual sin is so uh, may appear to be worse than other sins, and why you well, why isn't he be, why is sexual sin worse than this or that? Okay, may, it's hard for you and I to judge, Laura. How what's a worse sin? Any sin is an affront to God. Some sins have more powerful consequences in a person's life or in the effect upon others. And some sins go deeper than other people into their character. Okay, I can get caught up in a pressure situation and, and tell a lie, which might even be against my general character, but I still tell the lie because I'm afraid of losing face. Okay, that's a sin. Or I can commit a, a long-term sexual sin and uh, so forth, adultery. Now, adultery is no bigger sin than lying. In fact, it is a kind of a lie. But it affect, it, it is evidence of something much, much deeper wrong in my soul that I would betray someone like that and I would commit adultery. It's an indication of a much deeper, more whole person. It's a sin that affects the whole person. And as Jesus says, it comes from the heart and is coming from the whole person. So that's why sexual sin gets attention that it gets, yes, but because there's, it's so damaging to people and, and on so the, many levels. Why, why we have a problem with our responsibility, I think, Mike, is God made sex that way for marriage to bring a man and a woman together, to make the man and the woman one. Right. Over time, sex will do that, and if you're if you're faithful to your mate, it will make a union that's that's almost impossible to break. Right. But you can pervert that, and we can pervert the good things it, that God it made. It alters and that's the, the character. And, 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 and that's why it's so serious, because right. you take something that God meant for good, and you make it bad. 
simply for that reason. Well, see here, the thing, give me, see if I can make this contrast with you. People get very, uh, they get very upset about a sin uh, like a sexual abuse, okay, or rape. And they get very upset about that and the effects of that. And the same people that get upset about that, and they'll tell you in great detail how harmful. I heard of Naomi Wolf, a very prominent feminist and intellectual, uh, and she's written some really interesting things. Naomi Wolf was telling Jordan Peterson in an interview the other day that I saw that she had been raped or sexually abused as a young girl and then later in college by a very prominent professor, and nothing was ever done about it. And she talked to him in a very personal way about how that sin against her as a young woman affected her entire being and life and changed the course of her life. And yet the men around her just dismissed it because, well, you weren't killed. You weren't physically harmed as such and all that. They dismissed it all. And and so she it was. And so then I had that kind of they're saying that kind of person should be believed. And they should. I I. I believed her, and I think she's right. It is a damaging sin. Well, how is it then? And those people can say, "I can sin. I can sin sexually in another way against myself. Committing fornication or adultery is a sin against yourself and a sin against the other person." Uh, and David's. And so the two sins have the same. They have the same effects on people. They both go down deep in the soul. Uh, we just are more one is more politically correct than the other. But if Naomi Wolf were committing fornication, she'd be damaging her own soul. I had a young lady I was dealing with who had been I sexually am, abused. What's that, Laura? I am a survivor. I am uh-huh. a survivor of um my brother molested me and stole my virginity. Oh. Well you I've have also been through some other things sleeping over friends' houses at the school. Mm-hmm. Well, this is such a common story for young women. But I chose by the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive them all and leave them in my heavenly Father's face. But it still it still goes into the soul because sexu- the sexuality of human beings goes all the way to the core of our being. And so when we sin against God or when we're sinned against in this way, it goes down to the core of the being, our being in this case. Laura, there was a young lady I was dealing with who had been molested by her uh, grandfather and by her stepfather, and she was suffering the effects of this and feeling kind of blamed by other people because she was reporting this news. And I, and then later I sat her down, sat down with her because she was now then she's grown up some. Now she's living with her boyfriend and doing all these other things. And I know that's a common consequence, but I tried to say to her, look, uh, I'm going to say her name, but what happened to you before you were a victim and it wasn't your fault and you bear no response, no shame or guilt for what happened to you before. But what you're doing now is also sexual sin and you do bear the blame for that because you're doing that on your own. And and uh, you need to stop. Now, that's viewed as being harsh to a poor victim. No, I, I did that because I loved her. But I had an obligation as a preacher to tell her that because sexual sin, whether it's committed against you or whether you commit it, goes to the heart. And it is a serious matter. 
but the world views, picks and chooses the sexual sins that they want to condemn. They want to condemn some kinds of sexual sins, and then they want to praise others. They want to give people a medal for for the sin of gay gay sex. You get a medal and a badge for doing that. Or wanting to a change rainbow. your sex. You, you get that, but you know, uh, but, but then we're then we're against Catholic priests. Well, I know that there are differences in the sins, but they all go to the core of the person. And the very arguments that are being made today about transgenderism back up what I'm saying, that sexual sins are different because they go to the core of a person's identity and their being. That's what the problem with it all is. All right, Laura, you want to wrap this up? We've got a couple minutes left. We're going to let you wrap it up here, and then we're going to have to move on. But. Yes, and I absolutely agree with everything you say, and I know that God can heal the soul if you bring it to him and leave it at the cross and just go get yourselves well. There's no shame with him like there can be with other people. Right, I 100% agree. There is a, There is... There is some way to fix this to whatever degree it can be fixed on the earth, and the rest of the fixing will be done by, G- by Jesus Christ in eternity to those who are faithful to him. God will, br- God will wipe away every tear, but you can make a start of that in Christ. Outside of Christ, I don't know what help I can offer these people. It's, it's a shame. By the way, I, really is it? it's hurtful, and, and I, I, that's why we preach against all manner of sexual sin here. Because it's all destructive to people. And as usual, uh, I think women bear the brunt of this uh, oftentimes. Men, uh, um, men are guilty, and they, the guilt, their guilt shows in different ways. Some of them have been abused in the same way. But it's something that men need to, men need to really think about. Well, I'll, it's too big of a subject to talk about anymore. But um, anyway, thank you for calling, Laura. Really appreciate it. Thank Jerry for calling and calling back. And we kind of went around the horn, the horn. But once again, go back. So what's the Bible say about these things? As a Christian, I'm going to have to be against through because the Bible says so all manner of sexual sins, whether the world likes some of them or whether they don't. I know Gary agrees with me about that. And that's what we try to preach and teach here and try to live here as best we can. But right now, our time is up. We want to invite you to. Uh, Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, wearejustchristians.com, and uh, take a look at that website, and uh, you'll find lots of resources there for you to use in your everyday life. You'll find recordings of these radio shows going back several years. You get them as a podcast. You'll find recordings of sermons. You can search the sermon archive by subject or just start listening to various ones online or download them or get them as a podcast. Uh, on wearejustchristians.com. We'd also like to invite you to take a look at our, uh, uh, excuse me, to come and visit us. The church here, of uh, Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, meets on Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona. That's the uh, the southwest corner there of that intersection. And we'd be glad to have you come this morning at 10 for a Bible study, 11 for worship. And 7.30 on Wednesday night, we're not going to ask you for money. You're just going to find ordinary Christians. Give it a try. We'd love to have you. And we pray that you'll uh, keep looking at the scriptures, keep asking yourself, what does the Bible say? So until next week, we thank you very much, and we'll tune again. May God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL. 
Port St. Lucie.